started. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 1st, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, January 30th, is 7247. 7247. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 4, Made a Searching and Fearless Moral Inventory of Ourselves. In Step 1, we conceded powerlessness, the realization that we are doomed. And we're not doomed because of our allergy of the body, but because of our mental obsession. We realize that the only solution that will ever work with us is something that gets rid of our mental obsession. And we know we can't do it by ourselves because we can't stop the thinking that keeps sending us back to the foods which trigger our phenomenon of craving. If step one is the problem of powerlessness, then step two will be the solution, power. In step two, we learn that our higher power, which is deep down within us, was blocked off from us. We have obscured it. We have put up barriers between God and ourselves. In step three, we made a decision to place our will and our lives into the care of a higher power. What we have to do now is to be rid of those things in ourselves which has been blocking us from our higher power. Since this power is deep down inside of us, what is preventing us from an effective relationship with it? Here to speak this morning about Step 4 is Ruth M. Ruth is a recovered compulsive overeater from St. Louis, Illinois, a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, who intensively works with other compulsive overeaters and carries the message of recovery. And we are absolutely delighted to welcome Ruth to the line this morning. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Leah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. Anyway, uh, Leah, you did such a good job saying what steps one, two, and three are. So anyway, um, my story is I um, came in program uh, pretty arrogant, just wanted to lose weight and eat eat like I always wanted to, which obviously wasn't going to work. And uh, then I wanted to simply not eat compulsively. Well, that wasn't good enough either because I still wanted to run the show. And it wasn't until I went to a weekend retreat with two people called Joe and Charlie where they outlined the big book. I had read it before, but it was like a foreign language. I didn't really understand it. Of course, I didn't have what the program promised. But there, that weekend, it all came crystal clear. And I have to tell you, I've been absent now since then, and that's been November 15, 1986. So uh, I give homage to them. They're both dead now. Both died uh, sober after 40-some years of sobriety for each of them. Maybe it was upper 30s for Charlie when he died. Um, so what you'll hear today is much of it's from them, uh, but also I've heard others, and I don't mind repeating anything of value that I hear from big book thumpers. So uh, you'll also hear some other people. So I'm trying to tell you that what comes out of my mouth, oh, 97, 98% I've copied from someone else. There's very little coming out of my mouth that's original because it all comes back to the big book. The answer is the directions given by the original 100 recovered alcoholics. 
And recovered does not mean, for case there's some newcomer on the line, it does not mean what we kind of, we misinterpret what the word recovered means in OA. Recovered means, what are you recovered from? From a state of mind and body. And that simply means you do not have a physical allergy yielding a craving. Because you do not put your binge food ingredients in your body. Alcoholics of alcohol, we have one, two, or three, or maybe four specific food ingredients that are a problem. We can't put those in our bodies. And also, we don't have the mental obsession. We have worked this program to the point now where the thoughts don't enter our mind. Seldom do they enter our mind. Step 10 promises on the bottom of page 84, top of 85. Seldom will we be interested. So the mental obsession's gone. The physical allergy's gone. But as it says on page 85, we are not cured. It simply means we are recovered from the physical allergy, yielding and craving, the mental obsession as a direct result of working the steps according to the big book. Now that's the promise I really wanted to have. So uh, you may hear in this talk, uh, you may hear me say some things. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not in a ROA literature. She's saying something different. And I'll tell you up front, that is true. I'm going to present the steps, in this case step four, as it's presented in the big book, which at times deviates from OA literature. So it's, on, it's intent. It's purposeful. Uh, I did not recover until I worked the program according to the big book. I'm not telling any of you that you all have to do it my way or the highway. No, I'm just telling you this is my story. I can't give you a story I don't have. And my story, it has to be according to the exact directions of the book. Okay, so Leah's done a beautiful job of laying out those three questions. What is the problem, which is step one, powerlessness. What is the solution, power, power greater than yourself as you define it. And three, how do you get the power in your life? Well, three through 12 will be the specific actions in which you will get this power. But I just want to preface here that you will not get the power as you try to get the power. It doesn't work that way. That attitude is, is what's called self-will, and that which just keeps us from getting the power. We never get the power by directly going after it any more than we get abstinence by our attempts at control and getting it by what we do to accomplish it and achieve this is not the way the program works. And that's why it's sometimes hard for people. I know our society is it's all about, you know, getting what we want, when we want it, when we want it, <laughs> instant gratification. Even if you don't buy into that, you're, you are completely surrounded by that. So, but the program does not. It does the very opposite. And it's really a revolutionary way of looking at life. So instead of trying to go get it, Go get the perfect diet. Go get the weight loss. Go get God. We don't go get God. Because you see, God's not lost. I mean, I mean why? It's, it, God's not lost. Why can't we find God? Because God's not lost. So if we go to try to get God who's lost in our life, we won't find God there. Because it's still our attempt in self-will to get what we want. In this case, I'll get God in order so that I will now have what I want. doesn't work. So each of these steps are going to do something called, uh, Dr. Harry Tebow referred to in his talk in front of AA and the International Convention in, in St. Louis in 1955, ego reduction. Ego reduction means that self-will gets less and less and less. So the whole program is about letting go of every step, letting go of my belief that I can control my food and I will get the diet that will make it work, will not work. We have to give up control. And in two, we have to give up that we are the ones that are going to get the solution. We give up that belief. 
And three, we decide that, yes, God's going to run the show, which means we give up. We give up now from this point forth that God will be something we'll go after. We don't pray to God to help us be abstinent. That's arrogant. We pray to help God because God doesn't need our directions and telling what God to do. And so when we come to four, uh, we come to a place now where we're going to let go of those things that block us from God. And those things, if they stay there, we won't ever really have that connection because those things got us into self-will. And in self-will, trying to get what we want out of life on our terms, then we will always come back to, if not food, we'll just mutate to a new addiction or pick up an old one. I mean, our personality needs to change, a profound personality change, Bill Wilson said in one of his writings. This is a profound personality change, which means we have to let go of things. So um, it can be daunting, but we want something greater than us. At this point, it's probably because life's a mess if we don't, and so... God will do it anyway. Okay, fine. But later we'll want it, to, want it because we really do want it. We really want the connection. And it's not because, well, i got to do it. So let's start with step four. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So when we stop, it's the very last two lines on page 63 at, till the end of the chapter on page 71. And I do want to mention something very quick. On page 71, if we flip over there, we're going to talk. Some people say, well, why do we talk about these three key character defects, resentment, fear, and sex context? Well, on page 71, that it says here that if you look at line one, two, three, it says, if you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. So that line tells me that what we're going to do today is our grosser handicaps the most offensive, the most damaging, the most destructive ones we have will be these three. Yes, you have more than three. I'm sure you're like me. And those other ones will be dealt with. But at this time, we're going to go for the biggies. And then as we do further step work, we will find others. But these are the three key main ones. So that's why we hone in on those first because they're the ones that are most damaging and most entrenched. Okay, so if we, we start on, if we go to page 64 and we go to the first paragraph, therefore we start upon a personal inventory. This was step four. And it talks about a business. Yeah, at the end of the year, everybody takes an inventory. And they look and they look at the shelves and what they got, their products. They see some things that are damaged. They see some things that are really not marketable anymore. And they just take them off their shelves because they're just taking up space and those shelves should be full of those things where the goods will be sold, those products will be wanted. And so you just remove that, which is, in, which is no longer really going to be effective for you. And so step four, although we're loaded up with all kinds of character defects, so we don't take this in a very logical, rational way. We're like, oh, my God. But if it says here, a commercial inventory is a fact-finding. A fact-finding means searchless. I mean, search, search, ooh, I'm getting talk here. It's searching. So if a fact-finding is searching, we want to make sure we get all the facts. We really need to find out everything that's in there that's a problem. So it's searching. And a fact-facing process, well, that means fearless. And my inventory, when I first came in, wanted to be not searching and fearful. So it didn't, it didn't work. But here we've got to be searching and fearless. Fact-finding and fact-facing. 
It is an effort to discover the truth, which is, means moral, about the stock and trade, ourselves. So this inventory is just going to simply look and see what is it that blocks me from my connection with God because I've made a decision in three to try to be connected with God and live according to God's directions. All right. So we go down and we look at the last paragraph on this page, and it says resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. So resentment. So we're going to take the, the grossest of the grossest handicaps is resentment. And resentment simply is, I want what I want when I want it and how I want it. I want life on my terms. And they can be great motives even. But I still want life on life's terms, my terms, not on God's terms, my terms. And uh, so based in that attitude, I get mad if I don't get my way. It's kind of like we have, if you had children, you remember the two-year-old tantrum tantrum with the little kid begins to realize that they can scream and have a voice and, and want what they want, and they just want what they want. And fundamentally, our personality is not, any, <laughs> is not advanced beyond the two-year-old stage. We don't get what we want, and we throw a tantrum tantrum. Now, we don't necessarily vocalize it externally, but internally, we're throwing a tantrum tantrum. Even if nobody around us knows it, although they sometimes might figure this out, we still are throwing our tantrum tantrum. We want what we want when we want it. And we get mad if we don't get what we want. And that is an offender, and that comes to be us. Now, sometimes we do these various, it talked about in step three, and I've had a previous talk on that, and you're very kind and gracious and, and generous, and people, oh, my God, what a self-sacrificing woman that is, that mother. Well, yes, but still, it's so I get what I want because I want my kids to turn out like I want them to turn out. And so I'm doing the things I need to do to get that to happen. It's still selfishness because there may be a point when the child needs to develop their own personality and go out on their own. But no, they still have to do what I want. Then that's selfish, even if it's the most kind and generous presentation to someone. There's a manipulation in that. And we'll learn because there comes resentment because still we're not getting what we want. All right. So what we have, if we go down and look at this paragraph, it says here, if we go to in this paragraph, one, two, three, four, five, the fifth line says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So this desire to be connected with God and let God run the show and just get the directions from God and follow through, praying to get how we better can help God accomplish whatever God wants through us, um, then yes, these other things will everything will get better. And so then it next says, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Ah, it will, this tells us it will not be sufficient for us just to call up and just say a few things that are running through our mind and say, well, that will it'll be good enough. No, we need to get out a piece of paper and put them down. Now, I know today there was no computer back then, and you can use farms and fill them out, but I still got the old papers. So um, I used the uh, forms that Joe and Charlie created. Uh, when I was at that retreat, in that AA retreat, and, um, and I still use them today. So I'll go over what they are. And on 65, we've got some basic form here that kind of shows us. So we're going to try to follow along. I know maybe not everybody has the form that they've just created. But this makes it pretty simple. So we're going to have four columns. And I know you see on, on page 65, three columns. But the fourth column is mentioned, and so I'll tell you about that. So let's start with the first column. So we're going to start with resentments. It says here, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institution, or principles with whom we were angry. Okay, so that statement tells us what column one will be. 
So we go and we IMERS in for that. And when we do the inventory, we need to go down the column, do not go across. That becomes too confusing. When we do step five, we'll read it across. But when we write the inventory, we want to go down the column. So the first column says, I'm resentful at. And you see Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, my employer, my wife. So we go down this column. So your first, what I tell people, I want you to do a column a day. You do a column a day, you'll get this thing done in about two weeks. A column, you can do more. You can do it in less time. But I want you to do at least a column a day. So day one, I want you to write down in column one, I'm resentful at. So if you took about a piece of paper, you say column one, I'm resentful at. And you number it, one, two, three, four, five, okay? And you're going to list people, places, and things, basically, you're angry at. So you go ahead and write down column. And this is your first inventory. Usually our first inventory will include mostly people mostly significant people in our lives. Usually those will fall down on that column. It's rare to not have some resentment towards the biggest, most important people in our lives. And we may get to institutions. We may get to principals. On later, when we're doing Step 10 inventory, we'll see those coming up even more because we've cleaned up our wreckage with these significant others, and they don't seem to appear once, or they could reappear. But on this one particularly, you're going to find parents, usually, mom and dad, You'll find your significant other, husband, partner. You'll find children on this, probably. Probably, maybe not everyone, but you will probably find those connections. Maybe a significant friend at one time, but you'll probably find these people. Even if you haven't talked to them for years, but you're still mad. You're still mad at them. They did something wrong. It's been 17 years, and you're still mad, and you've kind of... You know, even if you have contact, there's still tension in the air. So you just put down any and everybody you're resentful at. I've even had one person who didn't follow directions and decided to put, I'm resentful at my dad, and the cause is da. And the next line is, I'm resentful at dad, da-da. No, put dad down once. And then in the cause, we'll cover that next. But just put down, you don't have to put a line for each individual resentment towards each person. This is not the great American novel. Just put their names down. And it could be principles, you know. I was resentful at the Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic, and I had a resentment towards them. And um, so I had to put down a particular religion. Um, I had to put down certain particular practices. I was resentful at, re at racism and the damage I saw in my work. Um, I was resentful at imperialism because I had worked overseas, and I saw the damage done when we put um, the, our country's interests before the individuals in those countries, <clears throat> and some of them losing their lives because of it. So I, I had a lot of stuff in there. Uh, but anyway, just put that down in column one. Once we've done that, then we go to the next column. And it says here, we asked ourselves why we were angry. That's that simple. So the second column says the cause. Why were we angry? It's no more difficult than that. Whatever that is. Now, you see the box doesn't look very big in the forms you've, if you if you've already seen these forms, you're not to write, again, this in great detail. You're just going to write a few words. And when you do step five, you'll explain what that, what that meant and why you put that down. But today we're just going to write, um, in this case, dad, sexual abuse. Done. That's all. You'll explain why when you do your fifth step. Or maybe there was beating, physical abuse. Fine. You put that down. Again, you're just putting the basic couple words of these one item, two, three, four things that 
is what you're t- you're angry about. So it could be childhood issues. It could be it could be today. You know, a child is a developed alcoholism. So I'm angry at my child because child has gotten into alcoholism. Okay, that's it. Boom. So just a few words there. Again, day two, do that column. Go down. You see the first column, and just go opposite and put down the call. Okay. So that's pretty clear. Then the next thing it says in this paragraph, in most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relations, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. And it says on our grudge list, we set opposite each name, our injuries, was it self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with. So there we have it. So that's going to be column three. Affects my, affects my, which part of self caused this to happen? What is it? And we have laid out here, and they have column three, they have some things written out there in column three. So I'll break it down, and in the forms I have, you just put check marks there. You don't have to keep writing personal self-esteem, personal relations. You just have check marks. So we have, and... um, Bill talks more about it in AAs 12 and 12, if you want to read step four. But the, we have three instincts. They're common in all of the human race since the beginning of time. And these instincts tend, there's something going against these key core instincts. So the three instincts we all have. First is a social instinct, social instinct. And what that means is most people, almost no one lives as a, as a hermit with absolutely no social contact with another human being in their life. It's possible, but it's pretty rare. We really are hardwired as human beings to have interactions with another human being. Animals are hardwired to have, to have some kind of interaction with their species and other species. So it's a hardwired instinct. And what we find is when our instincts get out of line, when we're not keeping them in their proper balance, we get into trouble. So this instinct will be broken down into two components. One is the relationship we have with ourselves, self-esteem. And the other is our relation with others, personal relations. So we have two parts here. We have self-esteem and personal relations, relationships. So our social instinct is caught up in the dialogue we have with ourselves about us and how we're interacting and how others are interacting with us, that's self-esteem. It's the internal dialogue about ourselves, our perception of ourselves and what's going on in our social world. And the second is how we're interacting with others and how we see that's occurring and what's happening in those interactions with others are personal relationships. So the social instinct will be broke down into these two components, the relationship with self internally and the relationship with self with others externally. And so we could just check off, okay, uh, that relationship with my dad. I'm just going to go, the days of my dad, sexual abuse. Well, yes, obviously it affects my self-esteem and how I thought about myself. Obviously. Obviously it affected my relationships with my father. It was not the relationship that children would have with their fathers, um, as you would expect, because there was this sexual relationship that he forced upon me as a child. So I would check both boxes, right? So it did affect my social instinct. My social instinct is just hard. It's not, it's not working like normal people because I've had this interaction with my father, and that's caused that to not work. Then the next instinct is security instinct. 
again, hardwire, we humans all have it. We need a sense of feeling safe and secure in the world. We don't, if we spend every day perceiving ourselves as the zebra with the lion chasing us for his lunch today, that's not going to put us in a good state. Our body won't be in good shape. Our emotions won't be in good shape, nor will our mental state because it will be consumed in just this fear of I'm going to be lion's dinner. So we have to have a sense of safety and security, a fundamental deep need. Humans cannot make it if they live every life as though it's their, it, it's, it's going to, they're, they're under threat of some sort. So again, it breaks into two basic, two basic forms. One is material security. And the old saying, food, clothing, and shelter. So to survive as a species, to feel safe and secure in the world, we need some basic needs. We do need probably a, a, you know, some kind of roof over our head, some type of shelter. Yeah, you probably could make it living, you know, just putting a, I don't know, a sleeping bag out on the ground somewhere, maybe for a given night, uh, but that's not really normal. Most will find some sort of shelter to live in to protect themselves from the elements. So we need some type of shelter. We need some type of clothing to put on our bodies. At this time of the day, I, I, uh, this year, I don't think I would make it too far. It's kind of cold outside. So we need some type of protection from the elements again. And food, clothing, shelter, yes, we'll need some type of basic necessity put, obviously healthy food, not what we've been putting in. So there's a basic need. So we're talking about the most basic needs. We do need them. And if we don't get them, we're in trouble. It's not what society claims, all the gizmos that we need. Those are wants. We're talking about needs here. So in addition to the material needs, we also have some needs that come from within us, the sense of feeling internally, emotional security. We have to have a sense that around us, as we walk through life, we're not under threat of attack, that there is some basic sense of safety and security and just life itself. Again, we're not asking for comfortability, but just the key sense of feeling safe and secure in the world. So again, we have the outer world, the material needs, and the inner world, which is the emotional needs in the sense of security, inner and outer. It always works this way. And then the last and the third instinct will be the sex instinct. Again, if we don't have the sex instinct, we will not procreate and we will be the last generation of the, of the human race because we're not having sex with anybody. So there is a hard wire, again, in all humans that to have sex. Now, we're, I'm not saying that you're running out and have sex with everybody you see, but there is this hard wire within humans to connect on a sexual way with someone else. There can be all kinds of parts attached to that, a romantic, it can be a sense of, obligation, I don't really love her, but I think uh, no one else will come along and want me to marry, so I'll say yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've had a sponsor who told me that. But there is a sense of getting connected with one other person in order to procreate the race, the human race. To, and then it can come on with other things like romantic. But that sense of needing to procreate does exist in all of us. Even if we never have sex with somebody, it's still within the human race. So we have sex instincts, and we'll break that also down into two things, inner and outer. First is acceptable sex relations. 
does it affect is my the sex conduct this resentment does it impact on my acceptable sex relations which would be if i have a significant other and I have a relationship with that other is it having an impact in that interaction in these acceptable sex relations but second we have hidden sex relations which is the inner world and on the inner world the hidden sex relations the example would be is okay I'm having sex with my partner, but every time I do, I'm thinking about having sex with my neighbor. I never tell my partner, but I want to have sex with my neighbor. And I fantasize. Well, that's impacting my hidden sex relations. So I just want to caution that it doesn't mean actually physical acts on the external world. It also means much of it is in the internal. A lot of it is in the internal world. And where I have thoughts and desires that even though I don't tell anybody, they're still impacting how I live. Because so, I'm not fully present to my partner because I'm fantasizing about somebody else. So we have acceptable and hidden. So these three key instincts, we have the social instinct, internal self-esteem, external personal relations. We have security. External is material. Internal is emotional. And sex instinct, acceptable sex relationships, external, hidden sex relationships, usually Internal, although you could have an affair and that would be external too, but still it started with a thought. And then we look at it says ambitions here, and what we're saying in that is not only my current moment in time do I look at my instincts, I also look at my future desires in this. So ambitions are just I have ambitions according to my social instincts. I have some future desires and wishes. Not only do I have my my current, but I have future desires. So not only does my dad having sex with me as a kid impact, for example, my social instinct today, it also impacts my future desires. Because maybe in my case, I don't ever find a partner and get involved sexually with anybody and get romantically attached because I can't even begin to do that because I am so believing that all men are bad. I can't get near one of them. And it also impacts my future desires, and I've just cut myself off from any possibility of having a relationship with anybody that's male, if I'm heterosexual. I'm not going there. I know it's going to be bad. All men are like my father. I hate him, and I know I've judged all men that way. Well, now that's caused to have a future, my, how my life is turning out for my future. I also, in my future way, looking towards my future, my social instincts is being impacted. So we would also say uh, ambitions. The social, security, and sexual ambitions also can be checked. And usually when we do the inventory, if we've got some real problems with our current state and those instincts, we almost always have problems in our future desires in those three instincts. That's column three. So these are just check marks is the way I've looked at. You can put it out, affects mine, and then you would then go down to the th the, these ca categories, social instinct, security instinct, sexual instinct. You could just say ambitions on the three, and you would just be, and then down below we would check them out, okay? And we might have some questions about that. But basically, we're just looking at it as best we can, fact-facing. <laughs> so, but we're not going to be neutral and just kind of, okay, that's rational, that, that makes problems. And our first inventory especially, it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then we go and we sob because we're still in grief about some things. Uh, but at this point, we still put it down, okay? <laughs> that's column three, and that would be day three. So we just go through each thing that we've had, I'm resentful at the cause, then we get to uh, column three, and we just check off the things that it affects. Okay? Then the last column is column four. 
Now, all this work is to get really to column four. We get the background information and what is really been, in many ways, controlling us. I mean, it's commonly said, you know, resentment is giving ourselves poisoning and expecting the other person to die. Giving ourselves poison, expecting the other person to die. So, um, so that's what we find out when we get to column four. So column four is the fourth day. And it's not really listed here, but it is mentioned in the text. So if we go to page 60, if we go, okay, all right, let me find it here. If we go way over here, we go on to page 67, as now we're at the point where we're going to be talking about basically column four. And column four is the, the second paragraph on page 67. It says, referring to our list again. If you see that paragraph, here now is the fourth column and the questions we'll ask ourselves. Because now we've done the work. We've put the, who was in flat, the cause, and what is the effects within me. But what's the exact nature of my wrongs or my faults or my mistakes, my defects, my shortcomings? They all mean the same thing. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrong others had done, which can be hard because we just are still mad at Dad here, we resolvedly look for our own mistakes. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation not been entirely our fault, we try, we try to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly, and we're willing to set these matters straight. So this is the key paragraph. All the part up to now, starting to get a cold, so if you hear me sneeze. But anyway, so this is the key. So all this that we've worked on is to see our side of the street. And I know it is difficult, but the inventory, the first three columns are looking at, we're looking at them and all of that that's happened and how it impacts on us. But in column four, we're only going to look at our side of the street. We're going to only see what, as this paragraph says, what about us? What part did we have in all of this? So I'll go to the example that I mentioned. Dad sexually abused me. Okay. I didn't do anything wrong. I was a kid. I, I don't have any exact nature of my wrongs. There's nothing I can put on column four, somebody will tell me. And for you to say that I have to go and look and see the fault I did in all that, is, is, that's re-victimizing myself. I was already victimized as a child, and this fourth step has just caused me to get victimized again. No, that's not what it's saying. What we're looking at is at the resentment. We're not looking at the sexual abuse done to me. We're looking at the resentment. And we're going to say, what, when we look at that resentment, how is that resentment hurting us and others by holding on to it? It's the resentment we're looking at. We're not looking at the sexual abuse. Clearly that's wrong. At no time are we saying it's okay he did it or we caused it to happen or there's something wrong with us. No, actually you're right. That would be re-victimizing. But that's not what the paragraph says. When it asks us to look at that resentment and holding on to that resentment that is the poisoning that's destroying us, that ultimately drove us into food and other behaviors and thoughts and emotions, that resentment has to be looked at. We have to see what we're doing, that we have to hold on to that resentment. Dad's out of my life. I don't see him. In fact, he's been dead at five years. But I'm still holding on to my resentment. And that destroys me for no other reason. We don't have to have a higher purpose here. We just don't want to have the resentment because it destroys us 
because holding that attitude around everywhere we walk, we put up a wall against all, not only men, but everybody. We have an attitude, short temper. We don't see things. We get upset easily, blah, 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 blah. And that resentment then is destroying our life and those around us and our relationship with God. So we have to deal with the resentment, not the sexual abuse. We're taking the resentment and looking at it. And when we look at that resentment, we'll see some things about ourselves. Where were we selfish? That'll be one. And what does selfishness mean? I want what I want when I want it. I want my father to come up and say he was sorry, he was wrong in what he did to me. I want that. And I want it now. And I've been wanting it since I was a child. But he's dead. Now, Ruth, that makes no sense. You're not going to get him to come over and say that to you. Even if he's alive, he's probably not going to come and do it. But I want what I want, even though I cannot make him do it, even though I want him to do it, I cannot make him to do it. And to live a life of throwing a tinter tantrum, I want what I want when I want it, he was wrong and I want it. I want it from him. Only destroys me. He doesn't give a damn. He doesn't care. He didn't ever really care about me or he wouldn't have had sex with me. So it's not, he, I'm not going to get something. I don't have the power to make people do what I want. I've got to quit playing God. And that's so important. So I'm selfish. I want what I want. This is not a statement that it was right or wrong what he did. It was wrong. I'm talking about my attitude that I expect life to give me what I want when I want it. Today, decades later, I have to let go of that need to try to get only what I want out of people. So I'm selfish. The next thing, if we look at dishonesty. So I had to check off, I'm selfish. I'm selfish on this. I want what I want, even though I'm not ever going to get it. I'm still holding on to something I can't get. I'm torturing myself in the process. Second, dishonesty. Well, obviously when we talk about dishonesty, we think lying to somebody. Sure, that's dishonest. But there are many shades of dishonesty. So dishonesty is believing that I have to hold on to this resentment and I have to hold on to it no matter what because I've got to get what I want even though he's dead. That's dishonest. Ruth, let's face it. He's not coming over here. He's not going to say that to you. That's dishonest believing that I have, that I, I have power that I don't have, that I can make him, even if he's alive, do this. That's a dishonest belief because I'm not that powerful. I'm not God. So I'm being dishonest to myself by my belief that is not realistic. It's not realistic. And, of course, when we do a fifth step, that's why we need a, uh, somebody to talk to us on a fifth step because we may think we still have power that we don't really ever have or never had. But dishonesty can be you're at work, and people are standing around gossiping about another worker who's not there that day. And you walk by, and you stand there, and you listen to it. And you know that something that's just been said actually is not true. And some people don't like this guy at work. But you're standing there listening into the gossip, and you know something's been said about him that actually didn't, he didn't even do. So he's being trashed in a way that's not even accurate. And you say nothing and walk away. That's dishonesty. There's, there's, um, there is when you directly lie, but it's also when you let something bad be done to another and you do not intercede to, to say, no, I, I know Joe didn't do that. You know, he was sick that day and, you know, I, it just didn't happen. Well, they may get mad at you, but it doesn't matter. You hold your principles right and do not allow something negative to be done to destroy the work environment when you know better. So it's admitting truth. 
allowing something that's not truthful to occur while you witness it and it's still and you don't step in and make sure that the truth stands true in that interaction. That's dishonesty. But you've not said it a lie. You've just not allowed something to be badly done to another. And also we could go on another character defect is gossiping. And if you stand there and don't join in, you still are standing there and you're even by your silence you're part of the gossiping circle. And so that again is against your values and you're doing it. And that's dishonest. Anytime we do not live according to the values you know we're supposed to live, and we do not live according to them, we're being dishonest to ourselves and to God and to others. So that's dishonest. There are many forms of dishonesty. So the dishonesty here would be checking my box and saying, yeah, I really, I think honest finally. He's not going to do it. Uh, and my expectation of it is a dishonest belief because I, I, honestly I know better. He, he's never going to come, you know. So I need to check my box and quit holding on to something that I know in, uh, with honesty that I, I'm not going to be able to get. So that would be checked off. My holding on to this belief, which then drives the, the resentment, continues. Self-seeking and frightened. Obviously, self-seeking. I want what I want still. And I'm frightened because it's really scary what he did. And I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't hold on to this resentment. I've had it since I was a child. If I didn't have it, I don't know who I would be. It is such an ingrained part of me. I don't know what would happen if I let it go and live life without holding on to the resentment. It does not mean, again, that his behavior was right. It means that my heart is free of the, da the corrosive damage of resentment, and I've gone on and lived life regardless of him. What will happen if I let go of something that is now I believe I can't let go of? And that fear then I would check it off. And another part later, they'll mention the word inconsiderate. And inconsiderate will be three things. Well, I'm inconsiderate of myself by putting this burden on me and never getting what I think I need. That's inconsiderate. Because me expecting something from him and I have to get turned up in all this tension all the time is inconsiderate of me. I can never feel deep peace and serenity and joy and now cut off my life with joy, that's inconsiderate of me. I need to be respectful of my limitations and let go of things that are not beyond, that they're beyond me. So I would check that box. I would check it if I'm inconsiderate of God because I'm expecting what I get on my terms and not letting God run the show. So I'm inconsiderate of God. And, and I can be inconsiderate of the other person. If I've done some really evil things towards that father, um, it didn't make anything different. It just made a, a, the wall uh, thicker than it was. But it never really re um, removed. Again, we're not saying he was right. But I'm being generally hateful and doing things to cause harm to him. All it does, two are wounded. When one goes out in revenge and hatefulness, there's no winners. There's just two losers. So I checked that off. So when I really begin to look at who I am, I realize I'm being controlled and dominated by this resentment. And I cannot live at peace unless I go ahead and let go of, of expectations that are unrealistic. So that's just one example. So I'd end up check, check, check my boxes. So we look at these key things. Was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate? Check, check, check. 
So that's one example. But again, when you do this inventory, again, I want you to make sure you do, it, you do each column a day or you can do more than one. Don't go across. It gets too confusing and it gets muddled up. Uh, just focus on that which we understand clearly. So we do that on the resentments. Then we go and we do fears because it also is a huge growth handicap. And when we look at that, and, oh, I do want to mention there is three prayers in this section. There's a resentment prayer, a fear prayer, and a sex conduct prayer. We have three prayers to help us. Because some of these resentments towards dad, it's not going away. So we have a particular prayer we have and that we will continue to pray. And one, for example, if we get down to step nine and we're still seeming to hold on to some resentment, we're not ready to make amends because we got resentment. But the last paragraph on page 66 says this. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience they would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Here's the prayer. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we cheerfully grant a sick friend. Pretty hard to do with your dad, but we're going to find a way to rise above our resentment and live a life close to God, regardless of what he did. We're getting past it. When a man offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. The key is, God, save me from being angry, holding on to resentment. Thy will be done, because thy will will never occur as long as I hold on to resentments and don't allow God's will to come through me. So for no other reason, and, but just trying to develop a relationship with God so that we do not go back to eat compulsively, we can start at that level. We'll get into higher levels, but the first one, that's fine. So there's your, your prayer. If we go down to the last paragraph in 67, now we'll talk about fear. And again, it's much, I did a lot talking about fear, but it's the same form. We're going to use the same form on all of this. And the only difference is we're going to start in column one, I'm fearful at, all right? And then column two, you know, you know, why do I have this fear? You know, the cause behind it. Column three will always be the same, our social instincts, self-esteem, personal relations, security instincts, material and emotional, sex instinct, acceptable sex relations, hidden sex relations and our ambitions in those three areas, social, security, and sexual. That's column three. It stays the same on all of this. And column four, we'll also be looking at selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate. So all of this will be the same if you then created a form, if you were doing it yourself. You would just change uh, just a couple words on this form. It's just saying, I'm resentful at, I'm fearful. I'm fearful. That's, that's the only difference. That's the only word there. And uh, the cause. So basically, it's the same form, except you're just changing the first the word of the first column and its fears, and it's going to be the very, very same thing. So if we look in this uh, paragraph, this last paragraph, 67, notice that the word fears back alongside the difficulties with Mr. Jones, Mrs. Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife, and it touches every aspect of our lives, and it is true. And it's kind of like a a mosaic, you pull out that, try to pull out that thread, the whole, the whole thing just falls apart because it's so, so enmeshed in everything. And then but at the very end of the, the very last two lines of this, on this page, but did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classified with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So the exact nature of my wrongs is where did I set the ball rolling? 
And when I set the ball rolling, I will find that underneath that fear is selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, frightened, and or inconsiderate. That somewhere, as I look at myself, I'll find the same thing. First paragraph, page 68, says, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no, connection, no resentment in connection with them. And I've had people actually have both fear and resentment towards the same person. Sometimes not. A resentment is just resentment and it's not any fear. Sometimes I've had just fear with no resentment. So it can go either way. But if, even if it has no resentment, we still put it on. So we put them on paper. I'm, fear, I'm fearful of. And it's right there. We asked ourselves why we had them. Again, the cause, just like we asked before. And then it was, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. And then that's exactly how it affects my instincts and ambitions. So we looked at that paragraph. We put them on paper in the way we had no resentment, okay? So I'm fearful of people, places, and things again, just like the first we talked about, the cause. We asked ourselves why we had them, the cause. And then why was it because self-reliance failed us, which is affects my instincts and my ambitions. So self-reliance. It affected my self-esteem. It affected my personal relations. We just go and check again, and we do that. And it's the same, same approach. I want to make sure I get enough time so I could go into more details and give more examples, but it's still basically the same thing. If we go down to the third paragraph, and we'll find the fear prayer in here. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. And here we get down into where the prayer is. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him, here's the prayer, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. That once we come in, we, we come in to outgrow fear. The prayer does not say what he would have us do. He asks us what he would have us be. And those that listen to my step two talk and the step two proposition, the last column we ask in that is what would we do? What would we be? Not what would we do. Why do we not say what we would do? Back into self-will again. We're going to do something to get certain results. That's what we need to accomplish. No, no. Big book here is saying what would we be. So it's not about doing, accomplishing, achieving. It's about letting go, ego reduction, letting go, letting go, letting go. And in this process, you will let go of your resentment. You will let go of your fears. And then what would God have you be if you did not have this fear? You would be a different person. And then when we look, we go to sex conduct. Again, the form is the same. What Joe and Charlie do is they basically take the same form, taking all of the commonality in all three examples and put it on each form. I know some people actually are very specific and look at one and just take literally the very words and do that form resentments and then take the exact words out of fear, put those down, do those words. And some do sex conduct, the very exact words in that part and they separate it out, and there's some differences. Joe and Charlie just put it all together. Everything that was said in these three, we're putting it all on one form. Each of the forms will have the same words. And that's how I was taught. I mean, you could do the other approach. This is how I was taught, and it's so easy for me because once I learned one form, I've learned all three forms. And they all encompass all the information out of the three sections. So page 68, the bottom says now about sex. So I have to tell a joke. This is a Joe and Charlie joke, and many of you have heard it. But I have to slip it in here, as they tell it every time. So there was a new person in OA, a newcomer. She'd come in OA, and she was pretty clogged up with the food, man. She was barely just thinking. And so 
somebody talked to her and she said, I got this issue, I got this sex issue. And the person said, 69. Think 69. I think it's pretty interesting that the editors have the information about sex in the big book on 69. But now you will not forget where to find it. 68 through 70, 69. So she goes home, but in her muddled thinking, she thought they said 96. So that's what she thought she was supposed to do and how to handle her sex life. So, so she goes home and she goes, okay, okay, 96, 96. So this is what the paragraph says on page 96. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Okay, that's the joke. Anyway, it was not page 96. It was page 69. So anyway, so anyway, so we look at sex. And the one thing we, they mention here, just want to, this, and this was written way back, you know, in the 30s, but it still applies to us. We have people, this is not a sex inventory about a standard all should live by. That's not what its purpose is. It's our own personal sex conduct. And where are we, self-will and right, getting what we want, trying to get what we want, being upset about it and being fearful about it and all those things. Uh, it's about us. So it's not going to say what is acceptable sex behavior for society as a whole. And we're not even going to get into that at all because there are many opinions. We have, as it says here, we have some that would, you know, sex is um, just for procreation only. We're not supposed to do whatever, anything other than that. Uh, you know, no exceptions. Okay, fine. We have others that say, oh, sex is great. Anybody and everybody's fine. I really don't care. Or something in between. That's not our point here. Our point is to see, as we, go this, we do this form, the same basic instincts we're talking about, the same basic, any time we've been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, fearful, then it's not appropriate. We're using the same standard as we did in the other two. We're not going to get into uh, statements about how all people should be in their sexual relations. We're just going to look at ours, and that's plenty to keep us busy. So if we focus just on ours, we go to the first paragraph. It says here, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Okay. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse je jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have, where, where we were at fault, what should we have done instead? We got, all, we got this all down on paper and looked at it. So right here is this paragraph. We got this all down on paper and looked at it. Again, that's the first column. So the first column is, who did I harm? That's it. Who did I harm? The second column is, what did I do? And then again, third column is the same, fourth column is the same. So here it talks about this. So, you know, if we've been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate, okay, that's the fourth column. Whom had we hurt? That's column two. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? You know, where were we fought, what should we have done instead? Again, that's what it affects in there. And we got it down on paper, column one. So it just is simply saying the very same thing again. And we do the same thing we did before, uh, we, as I described it. We then go, let me go to 
page 70 to sum up about sex, second paragraph. And here we'll find this, the sex prayer. Again, if we have trouble on an issue, we need to be saying this prayer every day, just as if we do the fear prayer every day or we do the resentment prayer every day. We see some biggies that we can't seem to let go of by just doing this process one time through. No problem. That happens with some of them. We will be doing this prayer over and over and over again. Okay. So to sum up about sex, here's the prayer. We earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. And that's what it is. And if, it's, and if sex is still troublesome, we just do, we work harder in, in helping others. And so that's what we need to do. We just need to focus on this prayer and then go ahead and help others if we still seem to struggle with it. Lastly, I want to take you to the promises of step four. Now, we, in my talk before, I talked about the promises of step three, which is paragraph, the first paragraph on page 63. And this prayer, I mean, this step will also have uh, promises. And so what I do with my sponsorees, you know, they've been doing a column a day. So if you kind of kept track of that, column one, two, three, four, the first four days, fear is, is day five, six, seven, eight. Now sex, sex conduct, that's going to be day nine, 10, 11, and 12. Okay? I mean, we've just been doing a, day, a column a day. You're now at day 12. And then there's sometimes, there'll be sometimes where there'll be something that's so grievous, so difficult, that we just seem to have to um, put something down. But it's not anything that's resentment, and it's not anything that's fear, and it's not anything that's sex conduct. But it just has to come out right now, because it's a grosser handicap that doesn't neatly fall under these three categories. So Joe and Charlie have a fourth farm, that, or fourth sheet, and it says, People I have harmed. And you'll notice on this one that you're just going to be putting, it'll be one or two things. But it's something that needs to be added. It's not going to be a long where we're going to go into every single handicap we have. But just there might be a couple things. And it would be the same. Column one, whom did I hurt? What did I do in column two? And then the column three and four is the same. So, yes, you will actually do that. But that all can be done probably in one day, all those four columns, because it's just basically covering just those things. Okay. All right, now we get down to, we've done that, so that could take us through about 13 days. I'm going to give you two weeks to get this done, or you can do it in less. So now at this point, I will go with the promises of step four with a person, and they read every promise and see if that's true, because that needs to be true. And if that's true, then that's a, that tells us, yeah, I've worked the step right, because if I've got the promises at, at completion, then that the big, big book is telling me, yeah, you got it. If I don't have the promise, or even one of them, um, then there's something lacking, and I need to go and find out what, what didn't quite get done right. It didn't mean I failed, but there's something more I need to do because I'm lacking that promise or a couple of these promises in this paragraph. Okay, so if we go down to this paragraph, third, com third paragraph here on page 7. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. Okay, we have written down a lot. This isn't going to be... Oh, I did my inventory, and I came up with two resentments and one fear, no sex conduct. Really? Really? Your first inventory? Um, no. Let's look at this a little more. So we've written down a lot. You know, we don't need to write a book, but we need to write down more than two or three things in our whole inventory. Okay. This is a promise. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We haven't done that. We haven't done this inventory. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We need to understand the resentment really is giving ourselves poison and expecting the other person to die. And in the end, we have destroyed ourselves in all peace of mind and joy in our life. So we see that. 
We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. Yes. We have begun, here's a key point, we have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. Yes. And this is true. Once we've done step four, we haven't even gone and talked to somebody yet in step five. Already we begin to see how we caught up with our instincts going uh, monk and, and just not doing them, you know, just getting too caught up, that we have caused this harm, and now we want to we be free of it. We've already begun to develop some patient tolerance and goodwill. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. And that is the promise. These things will have happened by the time we completed step four. Yes, if we have done that, we have completed step four. It is the grosser handicaps. I can tell you, yes, there will be more coming, but it's the biggies, the ones we really need to look at. And doing that, then we have completed step four. So with that, I was managed to get this done in an hour, and I'm now going to turn it over to Leah if there's any questions anybody would like to ask me. Ruth, thank you so much for this clear and thorough study of Step 4 this morning. We appreciate all that's been said. And Ruth's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And yes, we will open up the floor now for questions you might have for Ruth. You'll want to press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, identify please. Yourself, please. Hi, this is Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Lynn. One moment. Anybody else? Hi, this is Nancy. Nancy. This is Lisa M. And Lisa M. Okay, let's start with Lynn, please. Hi, this is Lynn from Massachusetts. Ruth, I just want to thank you so much for the detail that you provided. I tried writing some things down because it rang true for me, and I'm just grateful that this is recorded so I can go back to it, but you really helps me to see and understand the fourth step a lot more thoroughly and it has removed a lot of fear, doubt, insecurity and a lot of confusion and it's really inspired me. I'm working on the on the um, steps now. I'm not on fourth step yet, but I know that I have a lot to write, but this really helps me to see that you just get the facts down and to know about the promises also encourages me and with me on to just do the work because it's worth it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. And Nancy with a question, please. Leah, did you call me? Nancy, yes, please, with a question. Yes. Thank you. Um, hi, this is Nancy G. from Virginia. Ruth, thank you so much. I like you so much. <laughs> I like the way you work your program. My question is, um, did I understand right? Did you say that you work the fear inventory the same as you would work a resentment inventory? There's no difference for you? Uh, basically, yeah. Using the the form, first you're going to say, you know, I mean, you just look and say, okay, uh, you know, I'm resentful of, instead of saying I'm, re I'm, I'm resentful at, then you say I'm fearful of. You just people, places, and things. You're still going to put any any people, principles, institutions, you would just put them down on column one. Then you go to the cause. Cause will be it could be, it could be different causes but it's just why. Why do I have this? You know, um, lost some money, uh, you, know, you know, somebody got, took money from me and then I felt fearful because I, I couldn't pay my bills. Okay, so I'm fearful because I didn't, have, I didn't have the money to pay my bills. And I just got caught up in the fear 
and I just got so turned up in that that I couldn't, you know, see what to do even and just held on to this fear. I'm just throwing examples out. And then you still look at the social instinct and the security instinct and the sex instinct and those ambitions. You still check those same boxes. Yeah. And you would look at the exact nature of your wrong. The same thing. Am I selfish? Do I want what I want when I want it? Am I dishonest? Not only lying, but I withhold information. I let bad things happen to people but not speaking up. Um, I'm dishonest with myself, thinking I'm more powerful than I am. Well, that's all dishonesty. You know, and uh, self-seeking, fearful. Inconsiderate, inconsiderate myself, others, God. Those same questions will come up again because when we look at this book carefully and read these words, they'll be coming up, you know, listed on resentments or fear. Sometimes maybe they'll list resentment, one thing, and maybe uh, sex kind of, but don't mention it or fear, but it's still all applicable. So, yes, fundamentally it's the same. It's the same questions I'm asking each time. Thank you, Nancy, for the question. Lisa M. Yes, hi. This is Lisa M., uh, compulsive eater from Massachusetts. And thank you, Ruth, for this talk. And it's so timely because I am doing my fourth step right now and um, for the first time, well, first real time. And I've just learned so much about myself. And it's just been really a good experience to do this. But my question is... Um, you know, I did the resentment part. Um, I'm up to the sex conduct. But resentments keep coming up. I mean, it, like the other day I was at work, and this woman came into work. I haven't seen her in a while. I can't stand her. It's like, so do I go back and do resentment again? I mean, it's like they, they seem to come up, you know, every once in a while, all the time. You know, like somebody cut me off at work, somebody, you know, and I don't know how to get out of the resentment and move on. They keep coming up. So what do I do about that? Yeah, it's a grosser handicap. I mean, I came in and I was mad at everybody about everything (laughs) all the time. So it was very deeply rooted. Resentment is our number one offender. So just because we start writing this thing down, this stuff down on an inventory doesn't mean, whoop, now I'm not resentful towards life anymore. No, that's not the case. It'll be years probably, you know, where we kind of just really have a really good ability to accept life on life's terms. So, yes, you'll have new resentments come up or that person you wrote down. Now you've got a new thing they did. Oh, that coworker. Damn, I'm there five days a week. I mean, she's driving me crazy, you know. So um, if we put it down and we look and see that, uh, again, I'm upset with her. Well, let me go back and see what I've already written because I've not finished my fourth step. And I look and I see uh, it's still pretty much the same cause. You know, she uh, always wants what she wants, and, and, and she's never appreciative of what I do. Well, when I really think about what happened today, that's still she wants what she wants, and she's not appreciative of what I do. Okay, you know, it's just another example, but it's still, I've already covered it. I've got it down, and it does affect me. And this tells me I need to go to that resentment prayer and be praying it every day because I'm still feeling this way towards her. Okay, I'll just keep saying that prayer. In fact, I better have a cop. I better have a little card with it written down and have it in my pocket when I'm at work because I'm going to pull it out and be reading it all the time. She'll never know what I'm doing, but I I better have it because I seem to keep feeling that way towards her. Um, if we've already completed the fourth step, or maybe we didn't put her down. This is a new resentment. We didn't have it. When we, but now I've got somebody else to add to my resentment. Let's go and add it. Okay, I got my. I didn't put my coworker down. I'm writing my fear part now, but I'm, I've now got this new resentment. Well, okay, I'll just go ahead and put it down too. So I'll go ahead and do and add her to my list because I'm still in the middle of writing it. 
Does that make sense? Thank you, Lisa M., for the question, assuming that made sense. This is Diane J. May I ask a question? Diane J., one moment, please. Anyone else? Isabel. Isabel. Linda R. Linda R. Anyone else? Okay, let's go with those three, beginning with Diane J. Your Hi, question. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for um, doing this step four. Um, if you have done your inventory already and you and the person is on there, you, you've completed all the way across and you're saying your, your resentment prayer on a daily basis and you go back and if something else is happening with that person on a daily basis, you think it's great to go, even though you're doing the fear, do you think it's good to go back and maybe just write it again with what's happening that day or that week or whatever the case is? Um, the, the the fourth step, or just proceed well, to the, the rivet. Yeah, I mean, if it's the same basic core stuff, um, it's another example. But I wouldn't be start because you know what I can do. I can get so caught up in writing, writing, writing about this resentment that I don't move on and finish this fourth step. You know, it right. could be a ploy by my ego to try to prevent its completion by getting me so caught up in one resentment that I I seem to get so obs- you know obsessed with that that I don't finish the fourth step. And well, I finished, I finished. Well, I finished all twelve steps, and it's just the uh, same the example oh, you, you finished, gave. Okay. Yeah, so I finished all twelve. I yeah, finished now, all twelve now, steps. Yeah. Okay. I was if you're in the middle of step four. If no, you are, you're through all, and a re, and resentment has come back. Obviously, you do a tenth step on that because okay. you've got the resentment coming back. So, okay, I did some work, but you know what? I it's it's resurrected itself. It's mutated into I don't know a more horrible energy within me. So I've now got to do a step a step ten. And with step ten, I would do a mini fourth step because all I have on this four, on this in effect a a little tiny bitty fourth step is what a step ten is. It's just this one person. So I would yes, I would yes sit down and do um, you know I'm resentful at what's the cause? What of uh, my instincts does it affect? And my ambitions regarding those instincts. What's the exact nature of my wrong? And I would do that, yes. And then once I do that, uh, if I need to, I'd be talking to somebody about that uh, to try to get some more perspective. I'd be saying the resentment prayer. I'd look at any character defects that I've unearthed from doing this inventory, and I'm willing to let God run the show and do whatever God wants with me. I would be saying that seven-step prayer every day also, you know, to see what God wants out of this. And then I would see, okay, do I need to make an amends to this person if I look at my part in it? And if so, I need to make an amends. So that's step 10 work. And step 10 is just a four through nine on a daily basis. So, yes, you would do you would do that then. If you're at that place in your recovery and you've got a, a new resentment or an old one is resurrected, yes, you would do a mini one and then go out and do what you need to do in the, uh, in the five through nine to complete that so you can let go of that resentment. Thank you, Diane J., for the question. Isabel, your turn. Isabel, star one to unmute. Sorry, I was talking to myself. Quite all right. Isabel Isabel F. from Massachusetts. Um, Thank you so much for everything. I haven't gone through my fourth step yet, but I hear people say it takes months to do a fourth step. 
And I, uh, Ruth, I think you say it should not take more than two weeks. So I'm a little bit confused. Is it good to do it slowly or faster? Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, you can do it in less than 12. I'm just saying max here, <laughs> 12. I, I, I like it if they can do two columns a day, but I want them to at least do one, you know, so we can get this done within, within two weeks. If I take a long time to do my fourth step, what happens is my disease gets stronger because I'm making such slow progress getting connected with God that that connection, which is weak now because I'm going to my fourth step the first time, it's very, it's very weak. And now it's weaker because I'm taking so long that, that that connection with God even begins to deteriorate because of the length of time I'm writing this out that um, I'm going to go back in the food. So the disease wants us to take a long time to micro manage every little thought we have and what do we got to do, blah, 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 blah. You know, that could be the disease. We need to get this done. We have, to keep, we have to work faster than the disease is working in us because the disease is not going to go away. And if we don't put enough effort and God is not connected enough, we do go back to food. So that is it's not a good idea. I, mean, I, I remember one time I, this one person asked me to hear her fourth step and I said, well, how long did it take you? Nine months. Nine months you could get pregnant and have a child in nine months. And then when I looked down, she didn't even do her sex conduct as part of it. I mean, oh, my God, it was just like, this is so cumbersome. You know, I can barely understand it, and I've heard a lot of four steps through the years in sponsoring people. And I could, it was so much. No wonder it took her nine months, and she still didn't get anything out of it. The key by using this way, this format that the big book gives us, it's very clear. It's very simple to do. I didn't say easy, but it's very clear and very simple to do. You have to do very little writing. You're going to put somebody's name there, the cause, a few words. And then column three is check marks. You don't even have to write it out. Yeah. Column four, check marks. I mean, no, almost no writing. When you do the fifth step, you'll explain why that check mark's there or why that check mark isn't there. You don't need to write a lot, but you need to understand what the fourth step's about because if you hold on to certain things, it will put a, a wedge between you and God, and thus you will not have a connection with God, and thus you will go back and eat compulsively. So you cannot take, I know, I would never say taking months. There's no need to do that. This is not your responsibility to figure it out and do it just right. No, it's about letting go of ego reduction. Step four is letting go of every column. Let, you know, you see a little, oh, okay, I see that, I see that. The only purpose of, the, of this is to get you to column four. Columns one through three is just to warm you up so you can get to four, because four is exactly what the purpose is. Fact-finding, fact-searching is right here on column four. We begin to see the fatality and the futility of our resentment, the terrible destructionness of it. Oh, my God, we don't want them. So we want to let go. We want to go talk to somebody about it. So it's very simple. Okay? No, I would never be taking months. And I would be, if I was talking to a sponsor, I'd like, did you say you were going to do a column today? How come we're not doing a column a day? It can be done, a column a day. It can, two can be done, but at least one has to be done. I mean, you can do this in a week. If you do two columns, you'll be done in a week. But I want to hear at least one. So when I say two, that's stretching it out of the, the max. I would like even do more, but I, I want to hear at least one. So, no, I don't agree with those people that say, that's just our self-will going, oh, I'm going to take all this time. I'll let the food come right back in my life because I've taken so long. 
Uh, that's, that's not making enough progress. Keep me out of the food. So the answer is no. Thank you, Isabel, for the question. Yes, we found time to binge, didn't we, Ruth? <laughs> yes, we found plenty of time to binge. <laughs> All of a sudden, we can't find time. Okay, next question, Linda R., please. Linda R. Good morning, Ruth. Thank you so much for your explanation of the fourth step. Here's my qu- I have a question. Um, in the last column, where was I to blame the exact nature of my wrong, be specific? Could you just like really expand on that? Because I was taught to do this in a different way than you explained, and I did go to Joe and Charlie twice, but I, I learned later on a different jargon, and that really helps me clear my part in it. And I would just like you to please expand that, you know, the turnaround and that last column, because um, I don't want to share what I learned, but I just want to know your viewpoint to give me a little bit more information because I just want to make sure that I'm on the right track with that. In the last column, the exact nature of my wrong, be specific. What what would you say to yourself? What are the words you would say to a sponsee, or how would you explain that a little bit more in depth, please? Okay. Yeah, and also if you've got some terminology that kind of works in, you know, hey, I've got it, I, I really now see my part in it, I'm looking only at my side of the street, it's clear to me, uh, that it's fatal and it's fu- it's futile and it's destructive and no question I got it I've got these promises they're true even though I've maybe used different lingo to get to that point that's fine I've given you something that I have kind of simplifies it for me but I'm I'm not going to say that well it, you got to use exactly my words so have you had have you now learned tolerance patience and goodwill towards all people as a result of doing this fourth step. If you've got the promises of step seven, then you've got the promises of step seven, if you maybe have used a little different terminology here. The reason these four words are down here, because those are the exact words, if you go back and read the big book, you will, hear, you will see in the text, you will see the words selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, uh, self-seeking, frightened. Those words are being pulled out of those three, those three things, and they put these common words that they've been saying and put them down. The sense of being selfish. Underneath my resentment, I'm selfish. I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And I'm not getting what I want, and I'm mad about that. A little two-year-old is throwing a tantrum tantrum because that little two-year-old wants what that two-year-old wants, what they want, when they want it, which is right now, how they want it. They want what they want also. So I'm acting like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum tantrum because I'm not getting what I want. But, of course, I am now an adult, so I don't scream out for everybody in the store to hear me. But internally, I'm having that same dialogue, you know. That coworker is driving me crazy. Now, she's got an attitude I can't stand, which usually means it's a mirror to me because I have the same attitude. I almost find when I get really mad at somebody, they are reflection, they are a mirror back at me to tell me what I don't I have that I need to look at. Otherwise, it doesn't bother me. If it's not my issue, I just look at it and go, well, okay, usually. So that's the key to tell me to start looking within me. So selfishness is just saying I want life on my terms, which is self-will run riot. We are not meant to have everything be just what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. That, that's, not, that's not the human condition. 
You know, I, it's just not. I mean, I don't know. You're wealthy. You got a billion dollars. You still don't get everything you want. I mean, there are people that have had a billion dollars have gotten an illness with no cure, and they died. And they had the best surgeon in the whole world, and they still couldn't get rid of that. It spread too far in their body, and they're dead now. So, you know, we don't always get what we want. We don't get to pick the moment of our death necessarily, you know. We don't get everything. That, that's what that means. If I want what I want and how I want it with this particular person, then I'm trying to run the show and get what I want out of that relationship. And I'm not allowing God to work through me to, do, to have whatever the relationship God wants it to be. It's going to be on my terms. So check mark. And then dishonesty. Again, I, dishonesty, of course, is lying. That's an obvious one. But it also could be dishonesty with myself believing I can get what I want when I want and how I want it. And life should treat me better, and life's unfair. And, you know, I, life is, uh, uh, is, you know, it's painful all the time or whatever. You know, th- that's dishonest because that's not true. Itself will think all that has to be so, but the reality is life goes on, and I'm a garden-variety human being. You know, I didn't ever want to have that reality, but today I am a garden-variety human being. I, I'm one of, I, it's like the analogy, if you stand on a beach and you look out at the ocean and you're standing there, you look down and you see 7 billion grains of sand on that beach. Well, I'm one grain of sand on that beach. Now, that beach would not be the same if my grain of sand wouldn't be there. That's true, so I am important. But on the other hand, I'm still one of just 7 billion grains of sand. That's all I am. I'm, I am both. It's, it's the reality of both things. The beach would not be the same without my grain of sand. But I'm still just one of 7 billion grains of sand on this planet right now. Okay? It doesn't get to be my way. So it's dishonest to think that my grain of sand is more important than the other 7 billion grains of sand that I'm looking at, at that, on that beach. That's, that's dishonest. That means that I'm not letting God work through me because somehow I think I'm more important. So I need to be calling all the shots for me. Not a good idea. That's a dishonest. Again, withholding information when you know it's going to cause harm to another. That's being dishonest. If you live by a principle of, of truth and you let bad things happen to people and you step, you just, you're quiet about it. I mean, you go back to World War II and there were a lot of people during World War II, they weren't Nazis, but they never opened their mouth. And there were so many of them that the Nazis got to do what they wanted. So that doesn't say, well, okay, I I didn't actually commit these atrocities. I just knew about them and didn't say anything. Well, guess what? 11 million people died as a result of that. So, you know, maybe that wasn't your best option. We then get full of grief and, and, and guilt because, you know, we didn't stand up. So that's dishonesty. We, I mean, just that's an obvious example. When we don't speak our truth, when we do something to manipulate to order to get something out of somebody, because we really want to manipulate and get something out of it, we're, we're being dishonest. So we want to look at dishonesty in all of its expressions. Um, again, directly saying something, withholding saying something, concocting something in our mind in order to get some results from somebody. These are dishonesty. Believing that we can run the show, that's being dishonest. So we are dishonest people. And when we say self-seeking and frightened, yeah. Underneath, we're scared we're not going to get what we want. It's not going to come how we want it. And in and, and, and fear, my, I know that any decision I make 
in which it's, an, it's based in anger is not going to be a good decision. An anger-based decision is not a good decision. A fear-based decision is not a good decision because it's not a God-based decision. If I'm full of fear, I'm full of resentment, then God's nowhere to be found, and that decision is flawed because it will come from self-will. And I'll give you an example. I had, uh, somebody, I had somebody sponsored, and she went to World Service Business Conference, and, you know, you've got to vote on these things. And she was talking before she left. She said, you know, I'm mad about this one, this one proposal they've got. I, I, I'm mad. I just don't, I, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you're angry. And I said, she said, yeah, I'm angry. When it comes to a vote, I'm, I don't know. I'm just angry. And I said, well, if you're doing the right thing, does that mean that you will abstain from that vote? Because you know when you vote, you will come from anger. And you're only to vote when God comes through you in your vote. Isn't that what you're making, all of you making commitment for? And she paused and she said, yeah, yeah. And she did abstain. She wouldn't take a vote because she knew she was mad. And she wouldn't vote on something that came from anger. So she abstained. Now, I think that's a principle stance. You know, I mean, when you have a group conscience after an OA meeting and you're there and you're full of anger, abstain. Abstain from your vote. Because you know your vote comes from your self-will because it's anger-based. That's all. Just don't take the, just don't, just abstain. Somebody asked, well, I'm, I'm full of anger about this, and I, I know that I, I'm, God's not coming through, so I'm just going to stay in my vote. I'm not going to be part of the vote. I'll witness it, but I can't actually vote. That's the principal stance. So rein it in, not get out there, play it out if you're, we're angry. Work on it. Do a step 10 on it, and then come back, and maybe tomorrow you can vote on it, but not today. So, um, and inconsiderate it simply means am I inconsiderate myself? Expecting me to play God, uh, or also going into tremendous guilt and going on and on with God. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my! Come on, let's really. You know, you made a mistake. Can we now move on, or is there something a payoff you're getting from just drowning in this guilt that you're not allowing God to come through because you're so absorbed in this guilt? What's your payoff? So, are we inconsiderate that way? Are we inconsiderate of others? You know, if we were resentful, uh, vengeful towards somebody, you know, even though we didn't say anything, we could be inconsiderate. Um, Inconsiderate when we weren't honest with them and let them believe something that wasn't true about us. Okay. Inconsiderate of God. By playing self-will and riot, I've not let God live through me. And I've been inconsiderate of God because God loves me. He's just willing to come through me and, and bring beautiful love into the world instead I'm trying to run the show and blocking all that love. I block God's love when I try to run the show, and that's inconsiderate because all God wants is love, love of me, love of others, and that my job is just to get out of my own way. So these are some things. Um, now, you may have particular things that resonate. That's okay. Um, you're just getting to the root, the root of what's really underneath the resentments and the fears, the real root of that, and you see it's just self-will that's destroying yourself and others. And you want to let go because you don't want to live a life of that kind of pain and suffering you're causing yourself and others. Um, So that's kind of, as I see it, using these words. But again, you might have a little different twist on it. That's okay if you get the basic concept in there um, and word it a little differently. Okay. Do you come back and look at your uh, promises of step four and see that they're still true? Great. Then I'd say you'd be okay. I pass. Thank you, Linda R., for the question. 
Thank you, Ruth. Who else has a question this morning? Step four. Leia. Related. Hi, I hear Leia at Renee G. Uh, Renee G. Anyone else? Star one to unmute to ask a question. Yudis. Yudis. Okay, we're going to go with those three for now. Leia S., your turn. Good morning. This is Leia S. Thank you so much. Um, I personally am up to uh, step nine. And um, my sponsor told me that I uh, some things came up and uh, had to go back to step four. Now, there were um, things that were being done to me. And I did what I usually do is I pray for that particular person, whatever. And then you said, I listened to you today, and you said that uh, if you walk past a, a couple of coworkers and you hear something being said and you're dishonest, well, it's so similar, the situation that I had. I was in the elevator, and people were talking about this person. And then they turn around and say to me, Leah, you live right above this lady. Does she harass, whatever, does she do the same to you? And I just smiled, and I got off at the next um, floor, and I just walked out. But is that considered dishonest? I just didn't know what to say because, obviously, the person does things to me that I find out about after that, you know. So um, what I do is I pray about it, and that's all I can do, and and that's it. But then again, the situation in the elevator, I just walked out. I, I didn't answer, and I, I, you know, like I prayed. I said, God, just direct me. So anyway, I wanted to hear what your thoughts about that was. Ruth? Star one to unmute. Wow, I don't know how that happened, Leah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so I, when you look at the situation about what happened on the elevator, are you at at deep peace in that? How you handled it? You you know God worked through you, or is there still a little peace, even if it's a little one that was? You know, I could have maybe done something a little better even. I was okay, but I need to do something a little better. I mean, how do you feel about that? Actually, I felt great. I, I felt very, very empowered that I was able to to look in within myself and turn to God about this situation. But when I heard what you said about being dishonest, I was thinking, am I honest? Am I not? But it's impossible that I'm not honest because I felt good yeah i did yeah so again the particular situation you could have where you know you smiled and that you've got a relationship with these people and when you smile that means don't ask me because i don't agree you know this is where i come from and they go okay that's where she is so it was fine because that you've already established that with them that i'm not going to be participating gossip in my office and they can like it or dislike it understand it or not it doesn't matter but gossiping is wrong for you and so you could smile and, you know, oh, it's her again. Yeah, she smiles and she doesn't gossip, but it's whatever. Okay, fine. You, you've done it because you've already cleaned it up. Um, you could have a situation where uh, they gossip and they 
kind of want to pull you in and you could say, you know, I'm just not comfortable gossiping. I'm really struggling with this. You know, I'm trying to make sure that, um, you know, that I have, I, I do whatever I can to have a good work environment. And for me, I just can't gossip. You could, you could say that, but you, you might have already made that apparent before now so that it's not necessary to repeat yourself. Thank you. You know, do the people continually come up to you? You know, it's like me. I, um, you know, I, I haven't eaten sugar, artificial sweeteners in 28 years. And, you know, there are people that kind of just don't offer anymore because, you know, that's probably not going to work. Anyway, so, you know, they kind of got used to that's just who I am. They may not understand it, but, you know, there are certain people that just don't offer because they know that's not what I do. Um, but initially they offered. The first couple of years people would be offering because sure shout I really ate a lot of sugar, artificial sweeteners. That was the first to get it. So, um, so they would continue to offer for a while until they realized it wasn't going to get a result. So in your situation, you know, if you've, um, you're, they know that that's just where you come from, and um, they start and they go, oh, that's right, that's not who she is. Okay, then you you settle. You're at peace with yourself, and they know that's who you are, and they can gossip all they want, but that's just not what you're going to do. Then I would say that was fine. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Leah S., for the question. Renee G. Hello? Is this Renee? Yes, this is Renee. Wonderful. Your turn with a question, please. Uh Good morning, and Ruth, thank you for your presentation and your service. I wanted to ask, is there, is there a period of time that you would suggest that someone be abstinent before they embark on their, fir their fourth step? Yeah, I, I, I think we should follow the directions of the big book and not have self will run riot. And if we go back to doctor's opinion in the big book, if you go back there, which is the part that covers step one, um, there's a piece in the on here, and it's XXX30, and it says here, uh, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, okay, entire abstinence. So when I read that, that entire means entire. It means entire. And that means that I have to do that as part of step one. I don't get to do it when I feel like doing it. The big book doesn't give us, you can do it when you feel like doing it. That, it never says that. And, and, again, I know you could say, well, wait a minute. I can, I can tell you about, you know, always 12 and 12. And step four, it talks about eating compulsively and doing the fourth step. I've already told you at the beginning of this talk that I do not follow the directions um, in other literature that deviates from the big book. I'm going to do it the way the big book because that's how I recovered. And if something in the OI literature says something different than that, I don't follow that. Maybe, you know, that's not my story. I'm going to only give you my story. And my story, the doctor's opinion says I have to have entire abstinence. So to work step one, I have to have entire abstinence. To then go to step two, I now have to have entire abstinence. I can't be working step two. Ah, the solution is God. What do you mean the solution is God? The solution is food. I'm still eating. I can't take step two if I'm eating compulsively. Because my actions speak much louder than my words. And my actions say, no, my, my God is food. So there's nothing that's going to be God other than food in my life because I'm eating compulsively. So I can't take step two. Surely I'm not going to turn my will and say, well, I'm going to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to God, and I'm eating compulsively. How can I make a decision when my behaviors told me 
that I'm not making that decision. So I'm not taking step two. I'm not taking step three. And now I'm drunk on food trying to write a fourth step. Well, it's not going to work very well. And the big book, is very, it never says, oh, you can stop drinking when you want to. You know, on page 19 of the big book, it says, not drinking is but a beginning. That's as you start the third page and there is a solution. So right away, you already are not drinking. By the time you start step two, you're not drinking. So you're not following the directions of the big book. You can do whatever you want to do, but that's not following the directions of the book. You need to have entire abstinence as part of step one, according to the big book. So to take step two, you have now have to be abstinent to continue to work the rest of the steps. If you go along and you get back in the food, you've got to go back to step one because you're not taking step one. If you're not taking step one, you can't do the rest. It's kind of like the story. You know, there was a guy in a meeting, and he was a carpenter, and he built homes. And he said, you know, when I build that stair." From one level to the other in that home and all those homes I built, I never go over there and just put in midair the fourth step. I have to build each step built on the one below it. I can't build steps in, in the home. Now think about that. The carpenter is just telling us the truth. He can't put in the middle of the air, just hanging in air, a, uh, the fourth step that goes from one level of the house to the other. Are you kidding me? It can't happen. The only way you can build stairs is to build the step from that first level to the higher level, then the next step and the next until you get up to the next level. You cannot build stairs with stairs hanging in the air and think you're going to walk upstairs to the next level of your home. Well, if you can't do that, you can't work the program either. You have to start with step one and do exactly what the big book tells you to do to have worked step one. And no, the answer is clearly no. The big book doesn't tell me. If you can find it in the big book where it says it's okay to drink and be drunk and work these steps, Tell me where it is. I will recant everything I just said and say, go ahead and do that. But I have not found it, and I've read this book more than once. You find it and say that's there, okay. But I don't find it. I have to do what the big book tells me. I don't get to do what I feel like doing because that's what got me to be a glutton. And I'm not going to be abstinent unless I do what the big book tells me. So the answer is clearly no. You have to, you have to do what the big book says, and that means you have to be abstinent in step one, and then you get to move to step two once you've taken step one. And, and, and you have to admit 100% with absolute perfection, as it says on page 68 and age 12 and 12. Absolute perfection, 100% that you're powerless over food. Well, you're not going to do that if you're, not, if you're still eating compulsively because your actions tell, tell you that you're not even making the omission even a little. So the answer is no. Okay, next question. Thank you, Renee G. Yodis, your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, good morning. I got on a little late in case this might have been addressed. Please excuse me. I wanted to get your opinion, Ruth, about um, taking off a weekend every year and doing a yearly fourth step versus saying, well, I've done my fourth step. I've been fearless and thorough, and I just take care of everything that comes up in the daily tenth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if we again, the, the big book is very clear that we need to be doing a regular tenth step. You know, and if we just say, okay, I just don't do 10 steps, and then one week in a year I go off somewhere and I, I do a biggie, that's not following the directions of the book. So we need to do a 10-step every day. And if we do a 10-step every day, we should be picking up, uh, it's just like the difference between, in the old days when I was a kid, we had spring cleaning. You know, we finally got nice in the spring. We opened up all the windows, and we did a deep cleaning because <laughs> it was spring, you know. And... Uh, we'd maybe do a deep cleaning before it got cold 
Um, and that was done every year. So um, it can happen where one can go into a, a retreat state and go off and really do some hard work on their program, whatever needs to be done. And in that, you do what in your mind is a, a fourth step, a big fourth step. Um, you're looking at everything. You, you just say, you know, I've been so busy. I, I just want to pause and go away somewhere and really, really, really do a really thorough cleaning to see if anything comes up. Okay, you can do that. That's fine. But if you're doing the 10th step every day, you're not going to have this big laundry list of a big, huge fourth step once a year because you've been doing it every day, cleaning up the little stuff, you know, every day. So what is it that you're going to find in this big inventory once a year if you've been, if you've been doing your homework, you know, you've passed on to the next grade, you know. So you're, you've been doing your work um, daily, and there's no real accumulation. You just don't see anything. Or, or you might see something, but, but you're not going to have this huge, big, all this intense fourth this huge big long fourth step if you've done your daily work so yes some people go off and go into retreat and and i think that's a a great thing to do but i wouldn't say it's a fourth step i i can go away and really just spend some time alone with god and and develop um time and reflection and and some writing uh things like that and that that's fine but it wouldn't be limited to just a fourth step i i just kind of would look at my whole program and uh, see what it looks like stepping back away from the daily routine and a reflective state, and I may find something that, you know, I, I need to do. And it would be, a, I would do a little fourth step and, you know, talk to somebody. I mean, I'd go through four through nine and know that while I was there. Um, but I don't go and do a, a, just say hold off and wait and do a fourth step once a year and not do step 10 during the year. That that doesn't follow the directions of the book. So you Thank can you. go. I mean, I'm answering yes. You can go off and you do that reflective time, and if there's something comes up that you need to really kind of do a four step on it, great. But I wouldn't use that as an excuse to not do 10, 11, 12 every day and just hold off and do it once. That I don't think is is what the big book says. That makes sense. Thank you very much. Thank you, Yudis, for the question. Anyone else this morning with question for Ruth? Great opportunity pose a question. Rebecca. Rebecca. Who else? If it's on your mind, I'm sure it's on at least 10 other people. So anyone else with a question for Ruth? Beth. I have a question. And your name? Pam. Pam. Anyone else? Beth. Jean. Beth. Jean. And who am I missing? Raquel, is that you? I'm sorry. Stacy. Stacy. Okay. So we have Rebecca, Pam, Beth, Jean, and Stacy in that order. Questions only, please. Let's start with Rebecca. Thanks. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for calling on me, Leah. Um, I do my fear inventory differently than you described, Ruth. It's a short thing with who am I trusting and relying on and who should I be trusting and relying on and then uh, the fear prayer and what would God have me be but I find that in every resentment there's that fear column gets checked off so I always go to the fear inventory after in your format would we do the fear inventory again also 
because we typically have a fear involved in the resentment? Or would that be redundant? Well, it could be where you have something where you have, um, you could have resentment and fear towards your mom. uh, And you could have them on both parts. That's possible. Um, You could have a resentment where there seems to be a little fear, but uh, it doesn't seem to be within the context of the resentment, but you don't seem to need to pull it out and look at it. Beyond that, you're very clear and you see that is what you need to do now to correct that. As part of the resentment's gone, now the fear goes with it. Okay, maybe maybe not. But, you know, always err on the side of caution. I would probably have go ahead and put it on the fear um, if it seems to be substantial enough that you really have to go through all four columns on it, go ahead and do that. And again, okay. I know there there are people that use a different form where they actually just take each section and they just very verbatim put the words, and the, each of these four pages look a little different, and that's fine too. I'm not telling you to do it my way or Joe and Charlie. Um, if that works for you, I mean, that's taking exactly verbatim the words out of the big book for each particular form. The, the advantage of this is once you learn one form, you've learned them all because they're all the same form. And the concepts are being pulled out of all three sections and putting on one form. Because the word inconsiderate isn't under resentment, but it is mentioned under sex conduct. But when we do this form, inconsiderate is going to be on all three sections. So um, it, for me, I, well, it's just the way I learned it. And I've been doing this way for you know, 28 years, and it works. And um, I can go down the highway, dra- you know, driving, and I just write in my mind, and I've, I've done this, you know, I've done my, uh, you know, my 10th step without even looking at the form because it's just one form for any, regardless of what I'm looking at. So that's an advantage for me. But, um, again, you can use your your way. I mean, I, I know there's one person who's talked on the on the vision for you that actually has separated out, and I've seen those forms. And, and if that works for you, that's fine. Again, the key is if you look at, did you accomplish what the big book wants you to accomplish? When you look at the promises, are you able to see the exact nature of your wrongs? Are you able to really get into step four, I mean column four, understand it, and uh, know and learn something about your grosser handicaps? And you're willing to let them go because you can see how they're destructive in your life. If you've done that by using a slightly different approach, that's fine too. Now, I don't mean go off and do these uh, you know, these novels where you have these questions, you keep answering questions, and by the end of the fourth step, you don't have any clue what your, your exact nature of your wrongs are. I mean, there is some literature that's not AA literature that people will use where they just have a ton of questions, but what's the big point? Do you get to the big points? Do you see some grosser handicaps that you're now willing to let go of because you can see how damaging they are? Um, no. You're just so in the middle of the... It can be like, you can do a fourth step where it's like... Um, it's like this, you you know, you go to the bathroom and you do your thing and it's kind of smelly in there and uh, all you are is taking a stick and just stirring it up and never flushing the damn toilet. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's not a fourth step. That's not helpful. You get back in the food that way. You don't do that way. You you have to just put it in and get it done and get it on paper and learn something and then move on. So talk to somebody about it. So uh, you can do that. I'm not telling you that... Uh, you know, my way is the only way. But it still has to encompass the basic goals of what the big book says. Thank you, Ruth. It, it seems as though you've illustrated just how simple this program really is and that we have a tendency to complicate it. 
Right. That's one of the ways that the self-will gets back in there. It wants to make this so complicated, so cumbersome, so uh, difficult that we don't want to do it. But that's the disease talking, at least for me. If I just do it the way Joe and Charlie simplified it down to the most basic, boom, there it is. Check marks. How long does it take you to write just to do a check mark? You don't even have to write words out except for a word on column one and a couple words in column two. You're not writing words, but you're getting it down. So this is so simple and so easy to understand, if, if the self-will lets us, <laughs> that it's, uh, it's easy to do. In that way, it's not easy in that our self-will tries to make it difficult, but it is simple and easy if we just, just do it without all this emotional baggage around it. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. Pam, please, your turn. Hi, this is Pam, and my question has to do with honesty about being ready to work the steps. My personal situation is that I've been in a faction of OA for um, almost a decade and never got any real recovery, never worked the steps, and then I became sort of in transition, realizing that this isn't working for me. I need something different and kind of breaking away from the way of thinking that I had been taught for almost a decade and listening to a vision for you and being kind of in limbo with food programs. You know, what's my program going to be? But I got a big book sponsor and I was <clears throat> attempting to be abstinent and I was but then I kept picking up so my sponsor had said to me you know the first time I picked up well maybe you're not ready you're not ready and I thought well I don't know I really don't know and I don't know you know I at, in that moment I was having a hard time being honest with myself about whether I was really ready and then I picked up again and then I just called her and I said you know I'm not ready and, you know, I, I clarified with her it wasn't her. It's just that, you know, I'm kind of in limbo right now. How do I know when I'm ready? Now, this is going to be day five on a food plan that I feel very comfortable with. And I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm growing some roots in this uh, way of eating and being honest about it. But how do I know when I'm ready to work the steps and not keep going out? Well, again, I would go back to the big book, and the big book says, in doctor's opinion, you have to have entire abstinence as part of step one. I mean, it's right there in the book. So are you entirely abstinent? I mean, that's a component of step one. If you're entirely abstinent, you then can move to two. But there's a second piece here. It's not only putting the food down, because that could be an act of self-will. Okay, I'm here in OA. I got a free diet plan. I don't even have to pay. I'm great. Okay, here I got my diet plan. Good. Okay, life's good. I'm feeling good and I'm feeling comfortable. Well, you might not always feel comfortable in this program, but you will feel fulfilled. Um, so anyway, uh, okay, I've got this. And am I using OA as a diet plan? And I continue to pick up and which is that's not working. Step one, 100% with absolute perfection. Can't because you're not entirely absent, so you're not following the direction. So the key is. You have to admit 100% with absolute perfection that you're powerless over food. If you picked up, if you pick up, you have not admitted it, right? How could you admit 
something and then continue to do it. And I've told the story about my neighbor, highly allergic to seafood. He cannot put seafood in his body. His throat swells shut, and he has choked to death in 20 minutes if he puts seafood in his mouth. So you know what? He doesn't pick up seafood. He never tries to pick up seafood. He never thinks to pick up seafood. Even if he's standing right outside the door of a hospital, he still doesn't pick up seafood. He admits 100% with absolute perfection. He's not, a, he's not one of us. He doesn't eat compulsively. But you know what? He accepts 100% with absolute perfection. He's not going to eat seafood for the rest of his life. He doesn't uh, regret it. He doesn't have any remorse. He doesn't struggle over it. He simply knows that he would die if he ate it, and he's not going to do it. Okay? 100% omission. No problem. If you admit 100% with absolute perfection, you're powerless. You do not pick up again. Okay? Your behavior says, I've not taken step one. I don't even care if I'm entirely absent for five days. The bottom line is day 10, I'm going to do it again. Well, then you've not done step one. Step one is not only the action of putting the food down. It's an attitude of humility that my life made me a glutton. You know, I'm a glutton. That is humbling to say I'm a glutton. A hundred times out of a hundred times, if I try to control that food, I lose. So I'm a glutton. I make that admission, 100%. I don't need to go and pick it up and say, oh, you know, I still am a glutton. No, I don't. I admit 100% with absolute perfection, I, I, that's who I am. And the only power, uh, I don't have any. I am powerless if left to my own devices. That is taking step one. Yes, you have to have the food out to do that. It is the outer manifestation, not drinking is but a beginning, not eating is but a beginning. But you have to also make your mission. If you make your mission, you don't ever pick up again. So you go, I mean, my point is when I, when I work with sponsorees, if you've picked up, if you picked up food, you're back at step one. I don't care if it's one little bite. You're not taking step one. My neighbor would die. Uh, he would suffocate if he picked up seafood again. Even if you just ate one little bite. So, so the key is have somebody work with you about step one. What, what, have you admitted 100% with absolute perfection? I mean, you find a food plan that you're comfortable with after five days. We're not meant to be comfortable in life. Comfortability is not our purpose. It's not the purpose of me, and I, I, I don't know if it's the purpose of any human being. Comfortability is when I'm not comfortable, I throw my temper tantrums and I'm resentful because I'm not getting what I want. We're never supposed to live a life of comfortability. We're supposed to live a life of fulfillment. That is what God wishes of our life we are to do to the best of our ability. And with that, we will feel fulfilled with moments of uncomfortability. When we're not feeling comfortable and we're at, not at ease, we compulsively. So if we strive for comfortability as our goal, then when we're uncomfortable, we will have to find something to handle the fact that we're not comfortable because our highest goal is comfortability. No, comfortability is never what God gave us. I didn't come into, into this, on this planet at this time to be comfortable. I am to do God's life, to fulfill what God wants out of me is my life's purpose, which will include trials and tribulations. It will include pain. It will include moments of struggle. Because that's the human condition. But in that struggling and in that pain, I learn something and I move to God for guidance to get through that. And it gives me a deeper, more profound relationship with God. 
because I'm fulfilling my purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's my purpose. You're not to live life to be comfortable. Oh, go ahead and try. I mean, it's not my story, though. That just got me back in the food. So your work is to go and take step one. We can talk about all these other steps all you want, but if you're not taking step one, it's irrelevant. So have you taken step 100% with absolute perfection? I don't know. Have you admitted that you're powerless? 100% with absolute perfection. There's the key. You have to be out of the food and make that admission. Those two things go together. Because the physiology, the yielding craving is removed when the food is out of our body. But the mental obsession is still kicking and well alive. So that admission is necessary for the humility to work the next step. So again, you would need to work with a sponsor on step one. That's where I would take you right now. Thank you, Pam, for the question. Beth, your turn. Star one to unmute. Hello. Um, thank you, Ruth, for um, for speaking for your service. I was wondering. Um, you had you spoke about um, resentment and being abused, and um, I was also abused, and I've done I've done. I've been in program for a lot of years, um, and I've done the steps a lot of times. Um, but I still seem to, I have peace for a while, and then the resentments and fears surface again over um, family members, and particularly my mom. And I just don't know how to get at it, or is it just that I accepting that there are layers that will continue to come up and I have to go back because I feel like I have to do a full fourth step um, and I'm just not sure if maybe I'm not doing it right. Okay, so um, we're, maybe are you I, now through, oh, I'm sorry, are you now through all your 12 steps and you're doing 10, 11, and 12? Is that where you are now? Yes. Okay, and you're still having the resentment come back? Yes. Okay, so, um okay. It can be that it it does come out in layers, you know. Um, you know, you could deal with the situation. In this case, for example, dad sexually abused me. I've got that taken care of, but mom knew about it and let it happen. Now I've got to deal with mom. And I didn't really even focus on that when I went through and did my fourth step because I was so caught up. There were so intense feelings towards my father that my mother, I wasn't even aware of what my feelings were. I mean, they, I just was like beyond me. But now that this feeling is lessening regarding my father, I now see this huge thing over here towards my mother that I was barely aware of. So you know, that's just an example. I don't know your story exactly. So we can find uh, we can find different parts of this whole story that need to be worked on through no fault of our own. There would be nothing wrong with somebody saying, oh, okay, I've taken care of my dad, but now my mom, and I didn't even really do it that much when I did my fourth step, but now I've got this huge thing here. And it's so massive that I'm, I'm going to have to really sit down now and really work on this huge resentment towards my mother that it, I just barely noticed. And that's okay. I mean, I would call it a tenth step, but some people call that a, another fourth step. Okay, fine, whatever terms you want to use. But you will go back and do a thorough look at that and that situation and then do some healing on that. And, yes, it can happen that way. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of the human condition. We handle what we can handle, and then we go and go deeper, and then we handle what we can handle, and then we go deeper still, and we handle what we can handle, as long as that's our process. If it's avoidance 
and we're finding that we're not really doing a fourth step very thoroughly at all to begin with. And, of course, it resurrects because we never really did a good fourth step to begin with. Well, yes, it, it's like you picked at a scab and it bleeds, but you never got to what's below that scab because below that bleeding is an infection that you never cleaned up. So it's going to continue to come out that way. Um, so now you've not really done the steps that need, need to be worked, and yes, you always have a reoccurring problem. So I don't know the particulars of yours, um, but there's nothing negative in having to come back and peel back more and more pain from childhood yeah. abuse. I, I guess what I heard what I heard from you was this sort of different perspective. Okay, yes, you were sexually abused, and there's nothing that you you didn't cause that. I get that. Obviously, I get stuck in that place instead of moving on to okay, but yes, then you've had 20 years of resentment about it, and that's killing you. And that's the part that is it's hard for me to swallow taking accountability for any part of it. And I want to because I want it gone. Yeah, but you're not taking accountability for what was done to you. It was wrong. There is no question that uh, some adult having sex with a child is right. That is wrong. But what you are doing is you're taking accountability for how you feel about the abuse. You're going to be responsible and deal with that feeling because that feeling of resentment puts a wall between you and God, puts a wall between you and anybody else, and puts a wall even within you yourself and how to even look at yourself. It destroys you. It is fatal. It is fu- it's futile, and it's destructive of you. So you say, I'm focusing on my response to the abuse now it's 20 years later, and I have to clean up my response to the abuse. Not the abuse. It's wrong. But my right. response is destructive, and I am not willing to spend another day on planet Earth in this kind of pain, self-inflicted, because I won't let go of resentment that is killing me. That's what, why you do the inventory. You do not do it to... Say it's okay what happened. You do it because your response now is so destructive. You have to let that response go and find a better response to it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so Thank that's you. your job, and that's how you do it. If you do the fourth step the way the big book does it, that's what will happen. You will do that fourth column and say, "Oh my God, I wanted what I wanted and how I wanted, and I'm not ever going to get it." Well, it's time to face reality. I can be at peace with God. Because now I find God in letting go of the resentment. And even though what happened is wrong, I'm now at peace with God because God is giving me, through his, God's love, I'm finding a way to go on without living in resentment. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Jean, your turn. Gene star one to unmute. Okay, hi. Um, my, um, I've been in pro. My question. Thanks for your qualification. It was just good. I've been in program a lot of years, abstinent a lot of years. Been through this, these steps several times. Walked people through them, both in the big book and the twelve and twelve. And. Um, there's a point in my life right now that um, my biggest resentment is to myself. And um, 
and I'm feeling like, you know, I'm abstinent. I've been abstinent. No sugar, no flour away in my food. I do my stuff every day. But what's coming up for me is that a lot of stuff resentment against myself because um, I don't know how to live. I'm alone the first time in my life. I'm going to be 80 in a few weeks. And um, I think I, I'm supposed to write about that. That's my feeling, to do a whole thing. I don't know if I want to call it a footstep or not, but just like let it out and write some pages about that and then talk to somebody about it. That's how I feel. And um, I'd like some feedback on that. Well, if you know within you that that's what you need to do, then go do that. The worst case scenario is that was a little off and you'll make some better choice because <laughs> that's not what you really needed to do. I mean, go do what you you know you need to do and and write about it and go talk. What you're doing is steps four through nine. You already told me that. I'm going to sit down and write about it. I'm going to go talk to somebody about it. Um, I'm going to learn some things about myself, and I'm willing to let you know God – run the show as far as all my character defects. God's got them, and God does what God wants with them, and I'm going to learn. If I need to make amends, I will. You're just doing steps. You're just doing step 10. Or if you want to call it step 4, okay. But you're doing step 10 work. Got and, it. And you know within you to do it, so do it. Again, if worst-case scenario is you got self-will in there and you're not making a good decision, but so what? You, you oh, I started this, and it doesn't feel right, and I'm going to do this. this. Okay. It's not doing something that usually is more of our faults than than doing something in, with the best intention and not have it exactly right and then make the correction. You know, it's when we just don't do anything. And, and we get, you know, we, cannot, we can't tread water in program. We just can't do that and stay out of the food. or, or have Oh, yeah, habit. no, I've been out of the food for years. Um, um, so it's like I would say go do it. I, yeah, right that's, that's what I'll do. It's it's like, my, my, like I said, my problem is myself. Jesus, sure. it's like... Uh, and I, uh, and I said, listen on this one, and I'm saying, I'm sick of this shit. And, excuse me, and um, and and that and the fact, and it's like, I love this. I want when I want when I want it. There's a third line, and it's a joke. <laughs> you get what I get when I get it. So, um, and, um, you know, yeah, me, I'm my biggest enemy. Well, okay. I mean, right. again, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've learned things about me that I had no idea were in there. I mean, oh my God, I didn't even know they were there because I was doing the grocer handicap. Okay, but once they got kind of, you know, in their proper place, all these other stuff I had to learn to clean up also. So, yeah, it's just, it's never ending. But it's a good challenge. It's exciting to say, oh my God. I'm better at something I didn't even know I had wrong. You know, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, so I would just write. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thank you, Jean. And our final question comes from Stacy. Good morning. This is Stacy. Thank you so much for your qualification today. And I heard exactly what I needed to. So I no longer have a question. Just appreciation and gratitude. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Isn't that the way God works? Ruth, we thank you so much for your presentation this morning, for your time, your knowledge, and 
of course, all that experience that you brought forth this morning. Thank you. Thanks to everybody who asked a question and attended this morning, and I'm going to close the meeting in the way we always close here, and that's from page 164. Are we going to have contact information? Yes, at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.